Hello and welcome to episode 5 of series 3 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. Just wanted to let you know in the next episode of the podcast, coming up in a couple of weeks, we have an interview with Sean Nolan from Blink, and we're going to be carrying on our theme of change, and we're going to be looking at how we can facilitate change through effective communications. Obviously, what is happening in the world at the moment, regardless of coming out of the pandemic, uh, we, we wanted to really kind of keep focusing on this topic of change, which is a, which it seems to be an ever-present at the moment, and obviously will continue to be for the foreseeable future. Uh, and on that note of change, I just wanted to let you know a couple of changes that you can expect from the podcast as well. We, uh, we, we, For those of you, we have a number of people who are on our podcast mailing list. You've signed up for the podcast to, to, to join our mailing list, uh, and that's fantastic. Um, we're conscious, though, that we are sending out a lot of emails to our clients and to also to our podcast mailing list, and we're looking to try and consolidate that. So over the next few weeks, if you are su- subscribed to our, our podcast, only mailing list um, that you will be getting an email asking you to if you do want to stay on our mailing list to reconfirm that and that will put you onto our main mailing list which will mean that you will will still get information about the podcast but you'll also get information regarding our blogs our articles and also our events as well that we're putting out there but uh, if you do not subscribe if you do not want to stay on that if you do not want to go on that mailing list you will we will stop we will stopping emailing the people who are specifically on our podcast list so the email will explain the reason behind that but it also it will tell you what you need to do if you want to keep getting a copy getting episodes of the podcast you need to obviously make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast via your podcast platform whether that's itunes spotify uh, podcasts whatever you do that uh, you listen to your podcast so you need to make sure that you are subscribed so that they the podcast c- continues to appear in your stream but also uh, we will give you a link to our podcast page on our website which if you bookmark that you can check that and you can see what if you've missed any podcasts if you if you do listen to it directly through the website we're just trying to simplify our messaging to to all of the people who are on our mailing list and just so you're not getting too many emails and too, don't, don't want you to be feel as though you're getting bombarded um, and uh, that that's why we've made that decision so but we are still going to be keep keeping the podcast going the podcast is going to be going uh, indefinitely we don't have plans to uh, suspend the podcast at all it is going to continue for the foreseeable future so for so please uh, just make sure that you're you're subscribed as i say so you are getting regular the next the next episodes coming into your uh to your podcast uh, platform. So that that's that. Um, the only other thing that I just wanted to make you aware of is that we will be running another one of our free events coming up in the near future. We actually, we have a whole schedule of events, free webinars that you can attend, which are we are kind of increasing the number of webinars that we're doing. We're going to be running at least one a month. We've been using sort of every six to t- uh, six to eight weeks. We've tended to run our webinars, but we are going to be running them more often now. Once every month, we've been asked to. Uh, uh, with a number of people who couldn't attend uh, previous ones and didn't want to wait for the next one to come around. So if you go to our uh, thebigpicturepeople.co.uk, if you find the events tab on the on the top of the page, uh, it's not it's not been updated fully yet, but uh, you will find a list of all of our events on there. And you can uh, sign up for them, uh, the ones that, that that you think you will find interesting and useful. So you can, uh, they're all free, as I say. So free webinars every every month that we're going to be running. Um, and the uh, the only other thing I just wanted to say before we move on to today's interview is that we are still uh, making our po- our pulse check available to you. So if you want to go to uh, find our pulse check, and which is a free diagnostic that we're making available to our listeners. It's a 24-question diagnostic that will help you to establish how connected your people are to your big picture. You can identif- you can uh, access that at pulse-check.co.uk. That's pulse-check.co.uk. And you can access the Pulse Check there. Fill it in. We will uh, email you a, a very detailed 30-page report giving you a kind a kind of overview scorecard of your of your how connected your people are to your big picture and also some recommendations uh, of what you can do with those results and to make things better or to continue the great work that you're already doing. Okay, so that's enough for me. On to today's interview. <laughs> 
Today's interview was originally recorded as a LinkedIn live session that went out a few weeks ago. We decided to reuse the audio, though, because it was such a good conversation that we thought it was great to share with our podcast audience who may not have been able to attend the LinkedIn live session. The topic that we talked about during the interview was all about being chief hope giver for your organisation, how you can build hope into your internal communications. And the reason behind that is that whatever industry you're in, whatever business you're in, it's chances are that we've all experienced a very difficult last couple of years uh, and our organisations have obviously been through a a very torrid time regardless of, of, of what we do. And what we wanted to do was to look at how we can build hope into our internal communications, into our messages messaging that is going out to our audience, not not just not just blind optimism, but realistic hope that will help our people to start to rebuild and re- reconnect with the purpose of the organisation, if that's something that they feel as though we've maybe drifted away from. Um, and obviously, we recorded this interview prior to the events that have, have, have unfolded in, uh, in Eastern Europe over the last few weeks. So I would say that even more so in, in, a, in a time where there is a lot of uh, justifiable concern and despondency that we need to be, again, helping our organisations, helping our employees to see that there is reason for hope and building that into our communications and how we can help our leaders to reinforce those messages. So I hope you find this a useful interview to listen to. As I said, it was originally went out as a LinkedIn live session and we are going to be running some more LinkedIn live sessions in the near future. And again, we will repurpose the content from those uh, to make audio for the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this. Hello, everyone. Good good morning. If you're in uh, well in Europe, uh, and oh, good good night. If you're if you're not, uh, I guess for the rest of the world. So <laughs> my name's Craig Smith uh, from the Big Picture People. Welcome to this, which is our uh, first proper live stream. So we've we've done one before, but that was just uh, me doing a monologue. But this is our first proper live stream uh, with 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 our guest, who I uh, I'll, I'll introduce properly in a minute. But uh, good morning, Richard. How are you? Good morning. I'm brilliant. Thank you, Craig. Excellent. Fantastic. So without any further ado, I'm going to uh, introduce our guest, who is Richard Nugent. So um, Richard is the co-founder and managing director of 21 Leadership. And over the last 15 years, Richard has been working with some of the biggest and best known organizations in the world. Uh, He helps organizations build their capability and capacity for change. And his clients have executive teams uh, and and typically are FTSE uh, top 250 type businesses who are growing and changing their strategic direction. Richard's research and experience has led him to create unique and practical approaches to organizational and cultural change. uh, And he is particularly, particularly passionate about challenging clients to align their strategy culture and brand have i is that is that all fairly accurate richard happy with that no brilliant yeah exactly exactly very reflective of the last couple of years actually very oh yeah definitely and we'll we'll be delving into that uh, in the conversation first of all where where are you i know you're not a million i know we're streaming all over the world but you're you're probably closer to most than most of my guests who i speak to on my podcast whereabouts are you at the minute richard so i am in our office which is uh in whitley bay so for those of you who aren't familiar whitley bay is uh nine miles east from newcastle in the northeast of england so um, exactly and i'm I'm in cold morning in the northeast lovely yeah by the north sea yeah yeah <laughs> fantastic um so anyway richard i i've done my kind of uh uh formal introduction there tell tell me tell, tell tell us a little bit more about um you know what floats you about what are you into why do you do what you do because i know you're a very purpose-driven uh person having known you for a number of years yeah well if i if i if i talk about the, the business's purpose even you know 21 leadership was formed on a core belief that leadership is the competitive advantage in business today. I think if you take any two similar types of organizations, either one of them can invest in IT or you know, increase their salaries to bring a different different level of talent in. But my belief is that it'll be it's it's the one who has the greater capability internally at all levels to coach and lead and motivate and inspire and change uh, that will be more successful in the long run. And everything we do kind of falls out from that so you know I, I've spent previous to COVID probably most of the time working on what would essentially be cultural projects since uh, June of last year I've worked with more teams senior teams 
than I had done in the previous couple of years because there are a lot of teams who are coming back together and resetting or having to revisit strategy because they've spent the last couple of years just keeping the doors open. Um, you know, I've got a team, Matt, for example, who is the talent guru, in my opinion. You know, he was a former head of uh, talent development, global head of talent development at Milne Entertainment, and he joined the team, having been a client previously. Who, and he's just really revolutionizing how his clients look at talent and high performance. Um, Alistair, who sits with us as part of the team, he's brilliant when it comes to cross-cultural stuff and cross-cultural leadership teams working together. But it all really filters back to that thing that the more the more and better leaders we have in organizations, then the better able they are to perform and enjoy the process. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, th- th- thanks for that. It's really, really, uh, really kind of fills in the gaps that I I didn't make in my <laughs> that I left in in, in the introduction. So um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what we're going to be talking about in a moment. But just 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 for for people who are joining us, and, and we'll probably have people joining us as we, as we as we continue the conversation um, as well. Is, um, is is to is to really kind of be uh, well, yeah, well. First of all, we're obviously doing this as a live stream. This will also be going out as a podcast on. Um, on our, our podcast as well, which is which is engaging. I see Ethan. If you could maybe just pop up the, uh, uh, the 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 link there for the for the podcast for those people who are watching the stream but maybe aren't, aren't familiar with the the podcast. So if anybody wants to uh, subscribe to the podcast, we have interviews. Not we don't always do them as live streams. We often just do them as recorded audio. But if any of you do want to uh, listen to other interviews that we've done previously and, and in the future, um, then then fine. Obviously, if you're listening to this as the podcast, then uh, there's no surprise there. Then. Um, uh, and obviously, we'd we'd like some interaction. If any of you got any questions, anybody wants to, um, uh, you know, anybody anybody wants to sort of pitch in, anyone's got anything they want to say, please please do so, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll get that uh, we'll we'll build that into the conversation. Um, so what we're going to be talking about today is is we've 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 titled this hopeful internal communications, um, and um, I guess. I was thinking about this this morning, Richard, and, and and I guess people might have read it and thought, you know, kind of hopeful in terms of hidden hope, uh, as in, you know, let's just stick this out there and hope that our people understand it. That isn't what we're talking about today. Um, we're, we're talking we're talking more about the idea that um, we, we want to build hope. We want to rebuild hope. We've been through two really uh, tough years, and we're likely to to fa- face more going into the future. Um, uh, just just want to just want to understand that um what we mean by hopeful internal and we're talking about this from an internal communications context i was using your, in your introduction you were saying that um uh, that you are uh you your your primary is leadership but i know that involves internal communication do you want to just just sort of talk a little bit about what we're talking about when we talk about hopefulness in in whatever we're doing whether it's internal communications leadership development or or, or, or whatever context we're looking at that please richard yeah, and I know this came came from an article that I wrote last year, and I think at at the heart of it, as leaders, we we have a job to give the people who we lead hope for the future, and I think that's yeah. true of any period of time, and and especially now, and especially over the last couple of years, and I know lots of lots of the audience for this particular um, conversation are internal communications, and I think there's sometimes a challenge there in that their <coughs> internal stakeholders have a message and it might be that their your internal stakeholder as an internal comms person isn't thinking through those lenses but what i was really noticing over the last couple of years understandably is that so people are so many people are more operationally focused than they might be there are challenges that are in the UK, at least, probably partly due to due to Brexit, partly due to COVID, in terms of a lack of resource, and there are loads of real problems out there. And I'm not talking about ignoring them. But if we give our people hope, and we make them feel engaged and inspired, they're more likely to stay with us. They're more likely to do a better job, and those two things in themselves seep out, and therefore our customers, or our guests, or our clients, or our visitors have a better experience Mm -hmm. so in some ways it's an absolute no-brainer but i just i noticed in the clients that we're working with certainly some of the organizations who were coming to us to talk to us about things that it just seemed to have been forgotten yeah that people down the line need need some hope and and we all do don't get us wrong when i read Mm -hmm. the article back this morning ready for this 
you know, one of the things I said in there, I know whatever role we're in, we really should have our leader giving us hope as well. Yeah. But if we're in this kind of position, if we're an internal comms person and we're influencing how people feel by what we communicate out, then he, even if our leader aren't, isn't doing a brilliant job of it, then we have a, a duty to have that as one of the lenses to to not just bring people on the journey, not just get the message across, but to make sure that we're given messages that engender a sense of hope. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Okay. No, that, that that's that's really clear. Thank, thanks for clarifying that, Richard. So um, we, we, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, hope, and you've kind of articulated there why giving, you know, why hope, building hope into, into communication is really important. And I agree with you. I think there's a sense of... Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of things. I was talking about this yesterday. Uh, I think there's a lot of things going on at the moment. We're kind of all familiar with the, the well, men, many of us are probably familiar with this kind of term, the great resignation. The fact that a lot of people are kind of reevaluating what why they work, why they do what they do. You know, do I want to spend the rest of my life doing whatever it is I'm doing? Um, and I think kind of building some hope into our our communications about what we're doing as an organisation, connecting that to our purpose, and really kind of helping people to understand that is, is really important. Um, now I know you you wrote a blog about this, which is kind of how I I you know and obviously as I said we've known each other for a while, um, but I saw your blog and I thought that'd be a really good thing to talk to you about. And and you you flagged up three areas in in that in that blog that I think are really practical things that internal communicators, employee engagers can really 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 kind of focus on um so i'd like to explore those with you in turn because i think there are areas that we're really passionate about as well in the work that we do so i think you know it'd be really interesting to see how our kind of particular perspectives on these overlap so um the first of these richard is is uh, and these are obviously your, your this is your framework and your your words so creating a shared inspiring vision now i guess every organization thinks it's got a, 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 a an inspiring vision that it's shared and created and shared with its people um tell it tell us why that's so that that is so important with well, the linkage between that and and what we're talking about today this idea of building hope into our comms and engagement pro processes yeah and I, I do feel like uh vision as part of what I would what I would class the cultural narrative so cultural narratives of most organizations are made up of some combination of vision purpose values sometimes mission mm. and if they've been lucky enough to work with you craig it'll be in a a, a a beautiful visual format that actually the process that leads to that will have got people engaged in them so um but but one of the interesting things over the last 10 years is because actually because of the this kind of success in buy-in, uh, primarily Simon Sinek's work around purpose. Mm. Um, vision's kind of been forgotten, I, I believe. It's much less prominent than it was probably 15 years ago. Mm. And where vision is so vital and so helpful is really from a psychological point of view in, 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 my, in my perspective, which is mm. all of us as human beings – whether we're towards motivated or away from motivated, we all really do have a sense of wanting to know that there's some certainty in the future. That's why we use phrases like light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And if we mm. don't have that, you know, future perspective that it might be even better than it is right now, or this is where we're going to, actually we we don't get we don't get any certainty from the past. Mm. Because if the past was better, then we we pine for it and we go oh god it's not as good as it was then if the past was worse then we don't get much you know much joy from visiting it anyway so the fact that visions have kind of in lots of organizations in my view been kind of set to the side means there's a piece missing in terms of that hope for the future or that mm. engage and inspire and peace that we can look forward to and when mm. visions are done well when visions are done properly when they are created in such a way that they are aspirational and that they are inclusive that pretty much everyone in the organization can look at and say i don't know how we're going to get there but i really want to be part of it mm. um then it do they do get people out of bed they do keep people engaged in organizations in a way that certainly strategic goals as important as i think they are don't and shouldn't. Yeah. that's not what they're for but even purpose you know purpose can connect us with why we might go to an organization in the first place or why we might why we might be there now but if you add on to that a vision which makes me go oh and this is where we're working towards in the future and this is what i can buy into and 
I can see my role in helping us to get closer to it. That's something that energizes and engages and 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 gives us hope. Yeah, yeah. So a few few things there, Richard. So I mean, I guess first of all, and 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 then we've kind of. We've got the assumption that everybody uses a similar term for vision, and I and as you know, and I'm, I'm sure we come across this all the time, and I'm sure you do in your work. There's the a lot of interchangeable terminology. You know, people talk about mission, vision, purpose, values interchangeably, and think they're talking about the same thing. I don't know about you. I've always been quite, um, uh, and I think we have a consistent definition on this from what you the way you've just articulated vision. I often go back to you know kind of the good to good to great stuff uh, yeah, yeah. you know in, in terms of jim collins and that, that kind of sense of 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 and, and i i know using uh apollo moon landing analogies are always a bit cheesy and well worn but you know I, I i always remember it in my head you know kind of in in the uh, in the space in the moon race to the moon you know the the um the mission was to, to beat the Russians and and the, mm. and the vision was to have an American flag on the moon before a Russian one, you know, it was the tangible kind of sense of achievement. Whereas the, you know, beating the Russians wasn't just going to end by getting to the moon first. It was like a, a, an eternal thing that we would never actually get to. It was always moving away from us, but it, it was our kind of sense of direction. So I think what you've said there is, 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 is that tangible I can see and feel what it'll look like when we, when we, you know, when we've achieved what we, we all this effort that we're putting together is, is what the vision should be. I'm, I'm interested in your, your thought on this, which is a lot of visions are very, you know, we're going to be the number one in our market. We're going to double, we're going to be the seen as the, as the, uh, you know, the, 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 and, and uh, you know, we're going to have double digit growth, you know, it's, it's often very tangible and, and not necessarily, you know, it might be really motivating for the guys and girls at the at the boardroom table, but um, for the people, you know, at the at the front end, it's like, really, is that going to get me kind of hopeful and excited? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and this is I, so. So you've touched on something that I'm like, I feel like I'm becoming increasingly passionate about, and I think it's partly because I'm hanging around with it. Maybe it's an age thing as well. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm by far I'm far from a pedant, but I, I'm becoming increasingly certain that making really good distinctions between what we mean in an organization is really important. So I worked with yeah. a really, I was working with a really prestigious arts organization. I don't think they might, I was working with the Royal Academy yesterday. We were having this conversation um, yesterday and I, and I said, we, we were talking about things like strategy and culture and vision. And, and I said, I, I'm gonna give you my definitions, but if you as a senior team disagree with the, disagree with me on my definitions, but you totally agree with each other, that's most important. Mm. And I think, you know, for me, that's something I've realized more and more that, you know, when we're in a senior team, and I, and I think this is so true for internal communications people as well, because, because you're the hub of communication, you, you should be able to sit down. And if we take vision as the example, if I went around every, everyone who sits in that role in the organization, say, what's a vision, what's a vision, what's a vision, what's a vision, everyone should give the same answer. Mm. And if I then say, assume you've got a vision, what is your vision or the vision of the organization? Everyone should be able to give me broadly the same answer. So that's yeah. so that's yeah. one thing, and that's where Good it point. leads us on to answer your second question. Is that's why we make a clear distinction between the strategy and the strategic goals, which are the smart, you know, measurable, achievable, realistic-ish, you know, time-bound stuff. The EBITDA we've got to deliver, or the growth we've got to deliver, or whatever, and then the cultural stuff, which, as I say, in my in my view, typically is purpose, values, and vision. And mm. we know what we mean. So when we're talking about one thing, we don't we don't get it mixed up. And yeah. so, for example, yeah. if I talk about vision, my my kind of definition, if you like, is vision is that inspiring, aspirational, inclusive, engaging, motivation, motivating picture and sense of the future. And as you yeah. say, in my view, it doesn't have to be smart um, because we might get to the point where we don't we don't. Um, we don't fully realize it. It doesn't have to be completely deliverable. We should know when we're there, but yeah. it's not something that's measured in KPIs and numbers versus, say, purpose, which is more why do we exist at all and why should anyone care? So just having those distinctions is really useful. But I and think I think that's, that's really right. 
And I think that's a really good point is that as long as they have a consistent definition within their organization, you know, we, we, you know, I don't know any, any, you know, I think we're fairly aligned, but I don't know any, any two consultants or, 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 you know, kind of, uh, uh, trainers who kind of agree on it so uh, yeah why should why should we try and force them so I, th- I think that's right I mean just to, just as a matter of interest I think we we come at this from a from a, rather than whether it's vision mission or whatever we come at it from actually a series of questions that we should yeah. be able to answer so why are we changing what are we aiming for how will we get there now you know how will we get there you could articulate as the strategy but you could also argue articulate it as the values as well because you know the strategy is the kind of is the roadmap but the values are going to tell us you know whether we're on on the road and we're doing it the right way whether we're you know we're actually because you can get you can you can follow a strategy in the right and the wrong way as as you know as as um well, I won't get political, but anyway. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I agree. So, from a cultural point of view, I look and say, well, the vision is the is the cultural picture of the future, yeah. and but as exactly as you said, for me, the values are are, are the how. Like I often talk about the, cal- the the values being the cultural compass. That really yeah. is yeah. the the you know the sense of how we how we be around here. Which, you know, yeah. is, um, yeah. is my definition of culture. So. Yeah. Um, and and again, I, you know, I'm not just saying this. You know, I've said it to you before. What I what I love about what you do is you you combine those elements together in such a way that it's that it's almost inescapable for people to buy into it. If people yeah. look at the work that you do and have gone through the process and decide and don't buy into it, then they are up. You know, they're right. They're definitely not in the right organisation. So, <laughs> um, and that yeah. you know, and that that is for me. You know, the power of what you do and something that we focus on really strongly that. Any of this stuff, if it's stuck up on a wall somewhere, or if it's on a mouse mat, or it's you know, in, 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 the only time people hear about it is in their kind of two-day induction, then it's 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 a waste of time. You know, yeah. the only thing worse than having uh, uh, not having a vision or a set of values is having ones that are just kind of dormant. Th- yeah. th- that's how I got into all of all of the stuff around culture. Actually, my last proper in-house job. There was a set of values created from on high and sent down to all of the business areas. And in the office where I worked down in, in County Durham, there were values hung from the ceiling on, mm. you know, on big kind of cardboard, um, uh, you know, like plates. And they were hung from the from the false ceiling. But, they were, but the wires were quite low. And, and once a week, I'd see people going down. And if they were my height or taller, they'd either have to duck them or they'd brush their heads on them. And when I saw that, I'd go out and say, do you mind, can you tell me what the values were that were sent from head office a couple of months ago? And people would go, oh, so there was one about customer, but I can't remember the rest. And they'd literally just banged their heads on them. Yeah, yeah. And, the way, and I just think whatever we do culturally has to be the opposite of that. It's got yeah. to be genuinely engaging and bring people on, on the journey. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if it, it, the, the value, and we see this all the time, it, 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 it's all around um you know, broadcasting rather than having a conversation around them, around operationalizing them. You know, and, and we 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 kind of, and I know you. This is similar to the stuff you do. We're very keen on people sharing story. You know, educating and encouraging people to share stories of where where we've seen our our, our colleagues at at our best to live in the values, and that that then people start to think they start to be a they start to be more attuned to looking out for people living the values they're kind of thinking okay but if they know there's a process where they can talk about it but also it, it helps people articulate their definition of the value in their world because you know a val- you know if you've got a value like integrity which i think and I, i'm always i'm not a massive fan of single word values uh, because they have multiple you know opportunities to be defined differently but for me to be able to i i work in a factory and i pack whatever or i work in a financial services call center or i you know i'm a i'm a, I'm a front of office you know whatever for me to be able to talk about integrity in my world in my job how i perceive integrity helps to sort of normalize what we mean as an organization because i think nobody has one as a monopoly on what we mean when we when we talk about things terms like that because everybody has their own personal values that they bring to the table as well yeah and i and i know we're wandering slightly off from the vision bit but i think it's incredibly useful for the for, for the audience it, mm, yeah you know there, there's a piece of research by um Jim Cousins and Barry Posner, who wrote my favorite leadership book of all time, which is called The Leadership Challenge. And, and um, you know, they've done some amazing research over the last 35 years. The next iteration is just about to come out, and there's some mm. really interesting stuff 
relating to pandemic in there, but uh, one of their pieces of research is specifically around values. And it says that if you have an organization where there aren't a set of espoused organizational values, but everybody knows what their own values are and there are opportunities to talk about values, then engagement will will be positive. Mm. Versus if you have an organization that creates a set of values in the very traditional way and mm. just broadcasts them, use your mm. word because it's absolutely right, and mm. tells people this is what our values are, but there's no conversation about them, then that actually can in- lead to a decrease in values. Mm. But of course, sorry, decrease in engagement. But of yeah. course, where the sweet spot comes is where there are a set of organizations that are alive and breathing and that are created, you know, using a process like yours or like mine, where mm. people contribute to them and get to talk about them. And that those values are linked to and reflective of the most commonly shared personal values of the people who who yes. are the organization. And that's yeah. why processes like, like yours work. Um, so that ability for me at, at my level, in my role, in whatever area, to be able to say this is what this value means to me and how, you know, not necessarily formally, and this is how it connects to mine, but I can make sense mm. of it in, in, in the connection. That is really the sweet spot. So, you know, when, when we're creating internal communications, especially in organizations that have strongly espoused values, even if they're not necessarily strongly lived values, yeah, it, it's so important to keep that in mind because I've, you know, I know we both worked in at least one organization where there was a set of values and then a whole set of um, descriptors. I, I worked in one organization. I don't, and I don't think, I don't think we were in there together. But we went in. We were asked to help them to bring their values to life. There were five values and eight descriptors under each value. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is instead of there being five things for me to connect to and make sense of and live, there's actually becomes 40. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't it doesn't work because I might buy into the top line, but there's three or four things underneath that don't don't really resonate. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah. So the whole process of building them right helps. And then, you know, keeping the keeping conversations, keeping them front of center, integrate them into how we do things, et cetera, et cetera, is, is is so vital and that yeah. absolutely points to internal communications as well yeah absolutely um and any and we've just put some a note on there which we've got some resources uh, some tools that, that people can use if they if they want to kind of uh, explore this and particularly we've got a resource in there which which is very much around you know kind of operationalizing your values which is which is something we're really passionate about okay so we we did we did digress a little bit but it was good it was a good, i think it was a good good area to explore um let's go on to your second point so we've covered shared vision and a shared and inspiring vision so the second element of building hope into our internal communications is to remind people how they contribute to the success of the business so it sounds obvious you know well well yeah, of course of course we all we do that all the time why is that important and 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 but also what are some of the kind of uh the, the pitfalls that we sometimes come across when we think we've done it, but not necessarily made the connections that, that, that we want. Yeah. So what this, this came at least partly from, again, some work that we did uh, a few years ago where we looked at the most, uh, a number of the uh, engagement surveys that are out there, the kind of big, big name engagement surveys, and we mapped them together to find out what the consistency were, consistencies were, to find out what are the things that, seem seem like they're the most common things that keep people engaged in organizations and we we kind of came out with the top four um and the top one by far was we we badge as my manager cares which i think we're probably going to come on to it in in a bit so i'll skip over mm. that for, for now but the second one really was it, it in some it talked about pride in the brand or 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 the, the vision the mission mm. uh, Others, it was really does does what I do matter, mm. and I think when we put that together, what it says to me is, especially in times like this, where people need to feel a sense of hope, the more that we can let them know how what they do makes a difference and mm. connects and contributes, and 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 whether that's in a hard measure way or whether that's in a more cultural way, or ideally both, then I, I, it's better than not. And I think 
I've been party over the last couple of years to so much communication, which is focused on what we're not able to do, mm. what we have to stop doing, what people aren't doing. You know, it's almost like as soon as the world started opening up properly again last year, we went from people potentially on furlough, not, not knowing if their organization or their job's going to exist anymore, mm. to getting a bit of a kick in because, uh, you know, because we've got basically because we haven't got enough resources to deliver whatever it is the the customer really needs you know so 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 again i'm not i'm not necessarily talking about having to warm stroke people all the time again we could, we'll come back to that in a few yeah. minutes but if i if i if i'm in a customer facing business and i see the customer every day it's clear how i contribute mm. but it might be that if i'm in a i don't know an it role or a even a marketing role or you know if i'm not if i'm in a customer facing and I don't see the customer, yet I'm equally, you know, working as hard on less resources than I need, to then have somebody, ideally my boss, come along and say, I just, you know, you need to remember that when you do this, it means that happens. Yeah. Or you've contributed that, and then this. I, I just, it gives people a sense of there's a point to doing this, which gives me hope. And, you know, there's a very practical thing, and I know it's not very kind of, sexy but making sure that if you if you if you lead or manage people making sure people's performance measures are right and appropriate yeah. you know do i have a set of performance measures that clearly tells me what doing a good good job looks like and what not doing a good job looks like yeah and, yeah. and ideally then having a set of performance measures that also on top of that gives me a bit of stretch that this yeah. is what a good job looks like and this is what a great job looks like unfortunately lots of performance management systems or performance measurement systems help people to understand what a really average job looks like. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. Which, which helps in the context of as long as I'm doing that and contributing, making a difference. Um, but if you've got a bit of stretch on the test, if you always also do that, then you're kind of overperforming or you're doing an amazing job. That that really helps. But sometimes I see people have performance measures that they can't ever deliver themselves. So they might work in some kind of retail unit or retail outlet and they – they have a measure about the customer satisfaction in the whole store or the whole unit. Well, they can't affect that totally themselves. Um, yeah. So yeah. we get all that right. So people look at it and go, actually, I know that what I did today makes a difference to the overall game. It gives people a sense of hope. Yeah, it's actually you mentioned earlier smart, you know, and then everybody, everybody's, you know, a smart objects everybody, but but it, it cuts because because it's one of the things that really bugs me because when I when I first you know, when I first learned about what SMART, the acronym SMART meant, I was taught it in the way I think it should be. So specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Now, a lot of people say realistic. Now, for me, realistic is the same as achievable. You know, if it's not achievable, it's not realistic. But relevant, that is different. Mm. You know, and that's exactly what you've just said there. Relevant is actually, I can actually influence that. It's something that I can and it and it links to my contribution to the organization rather than being something that's um you, you know like you say and, and i i know what you mean you know when, when people i used to work in a fit the food industry and people would be you know part of their reward system would be based around you know kind of things that it, it was like you know it was like a sort of minuscule contribution that they could possibly make to it but you know and i understood why organizations did it because you want everybody to be you know this north star and what we were talking about earlier but it just felt like i could i could do a really bad job and i could still get rewarded for something i had just no impact on at all yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I love you i love your smart acronym i consider that stolen i'll nick that right, from now that's fine, my, that's fine. my issue with my my issue with um realistic is has always been a slightly different one which is lots of the smart goals that i see in the organizations i work with are not actually very realistic yeah oh they yeah know they're yeah. achievable because <laughs> they've done unrealistic things before yeah, but, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. organizations again as, as, as i know you do where they kind of mm. they've done double digit growth double digit growth and they could just and then you know I, with my kind of longest standing client it, i remember seeing um kind of their their strategy kind of growth chart this is going back a little way and it just they 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 called it the quickening because they were going to grow so quickly and then they had the quickening too 
And then, you know, they, they, and they continue to do it. There's nothing realistic about that, but they've done it every time, but relevant is, is better. Continue yeah, yeah. Well, you, can, you can have that one. That's free. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, and you, what you've said there is absolutely, you know, I agree with. I mean, we use this analogy all the time when, when we're talking with clients. It's a bit like, you know, your organisational is like a huge jigsaw puzzle. You know, all the pieces are scattered all over the table. Some people, if they're lucky enough, will know how their bit connects with maybe the ones around it. But how many times do we show them the lid of the box to sort of pan out and say, look, that thing you're doing over there has all of this kind of a contribution to the whole, you know, the, the supply chain, the ecosystem of the organization. And and as you say, I think and I think really helping people to understand that and having managers who can you know and i know we're going to talk about this in the next what next the final point that we're going to talk about this this whole you know i think a really key part of a manager or leader's job is 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 that thing that you've just said there is it's it's showing people how important they are to the business and um, because sometimes people just don't realize that even in quite senior roles i found it where you know they're almost self-deprecating about what what you know are we i just work in you know and i, I know organizations who've consciously been through a process of you know when they work i can't you know they've worked in a a, a function that's described as a support function that they've they've actually consciously said we're not talking you're not using yeah. that language anymore we're not talking about support functions because it just sounds like you know we're there to you know hold up the really important parts of the business yeah totally and then and, and you know I'm going to make some generalizations here. No, no generalizations are true. But if I think of the kind of talent programs that I've led over the years, so, you know, quite often you've got some people who are obviously from across different areas. And typically the finance person will say, you know, in their kind of introduction or whatever, or at some point we'll go, oh, but I don't think I'm a typical finance person. Almost mm. being like um, apologetic and, <laughs> um, that, you know, hoping that people won't avoid them. And as they say, pretty much everyone in the room goes, no, 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 God, we need you. If it wasn't for you, then X, Y, and Z. And yeah, sometimes if you might, you know, tighten the budget strings, we, you know, we uh, we don't we don't always like it, but we really appreciate it and, and, and value it. And in some ways, I think it sounds quite fundamental and quite basic. But um, and if I if I look at it from a leadership perspective, there's a there's a point at which our technical expertise, whether it's as a finance person or a marketing person or an L&D person or, a, or a, um, an HR person, that is no, stops becoming the most important thing that we do. Mm. That Actually, we, we make a transition that means that it's our leadership capability that's most yes. important, our ability yeah. to coach and lead, more, inspire, change, all, all of that stuff. Mm. Um, now... That's not to say that the technical expertise isn't important because it's that technical expertise that's that's probably got us to that point. And I really believe that that transition from a kind of, sort of fairly senior manager to a leadership position is is the most difficult for most oh, people in their yeah. career. But what it also means for some people is that up until this point, I've had a set of KPIs that if we deliver this many widgets or if I deliver this much a cost saving or if I deliver these campaigns and this brand awareness, I know that I'm doing a good job. Mm. We get to a certain level where it's not really like that anymore, mm. that my measures really become all about ensuring that everyone below me hierarchically delivers their measures. Sometimes that can feel really kind of dis disorientating in the first, mm. in the first mm. few years. Mm. Um, and if we can get through that, then often they're the people who go on to be really, you know, good, good, strong leaders. But also, we could remember that if I'm a, if I'm a, I don't know, a, a junior accountant or somewhere fairly junior in a, in one of those functions that aren't customer facing, they might be feeling that every day because how mm. does me pulling this lever off, writing this report, how does that help us to be, you know, the best, you know, soft drink seller in the world or the yeah. best theme yeah. park in the world? And but if we in that in that go going back to the original point, that feels hopeless. And at the mm. moment, it's not good enough to leave our people feeling hopeless. The more we can yeah. reinforce these messages, not just hey, we all make a difference, not we're all in the same boat. Um, but actually here's how and here's why what you do makes a difference. That gives people hope and therefore helps them to contribute more and do a better job and add more value. 
yeah yeah and I, and I think none more so than than you know the, a lot of the people who will be listening or watching this is internal communications i think over the last few months and, and over the last couple of years i think i've i've spoken to a lot of internal communications people through the podcast who, who you know have, have said i you know i've gone from oh can you can you write this email and send it out to all you know all of the people across the organization for me to being could you come to this meeting and help out help us to you know shape what it is we're going to do in response to this as, as a communications expert and i think that you know that shift long may it last but i think a whole whole range of support functions i'm using inverted mm -hmm. commas there mm -hmm. who, who have actually you know have, have, have risen to the fore and shown their value and, and hopefully that that will continue so um and there's 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 one there's one thing above anything else that i think will help would help that to continue and would help internal communications teams and individuals to keep adding value and keep giving hope. And um, I, I should put my tin hat on for this, really, because I, I, I wrote an article again, pro probably ten or fifteen years ago, now more than certainly more than ten years ago, with the with the crux of which was um, lots of internal communications are a waste of time. Mm. And I got a, I got a bit of a backlash for it, Pro probably rightly so because of how it was written. <laughs> but my point still stands that there isn't enough outcomes-focused communication. Mm. And and the biggest shift, and I'm sure lots of people kind of watching or listening to this, if they're internal comms people, I, I hope I hope this is obvious to them. But I see so many internal communications that are kind of a bit created as if it's FYI. Mm, yeah and and i go back to the point and this is how we design all of our programs it's how i you know write stuff it's how i decide to do things like this i go what what do i want people to do differently as a result mm. of this yeah what what will actually be the impact of this not that people will know things but actually what do i want them to do differently as a result of this communication yeah yeah and if we can design all of our communications with that in mind and that includes being really quite diligent and harsh that if we look at that and go, actually, I don't want them to do anything different, then we probably don't need to communicate it. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's or if it's about creating excitement, we've got to we've got to write it or create the whole experience in a way that creates excitement. Or if it makes people go, oh crikey, actually, we've got to do this, uh, then we write it or create the experience in that way. You know, if we're, if we're really diligent about that that for me adds real value to our right. internal stakeholders when we're internal yeah. comms people because it because i still don't think it's completely the norm no i still think there is too too much where an internal customer of whatever sort says we've got to make sure people get this message yeah um, and if i if give it kind of give an example and, and internal comms were part of this they weren't the whole thing but we worked with a, a big energy years ago where there was a real challenge with essentially with health and safety. And I know that's something that you guys are absolutely brilliant at, mm. um, engaging people in, in health and safety messages. But this organization, weren't, they could have definitely benefited from you. Mm. But, and they'd communicated and communicated and communicated. And their number one strategic imperative was, uh, was, was, um, was kind of health and safety. Um, and it was only when we 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 were peripheral to the project, we were doing some mm. communi essentially some communication skills stuff with with the senior team. It was only when I sat and said, "If this is, if you say your number one strategic imperative is zero harm, when that works, what is actually going to be different as a result of it?" Yeah, and they distilled it down to essentially every child whose parent works for the organisation will get their parent back safe, safe yeah. and healthy at the end of each day. And it sounds like a small distinction, but it changed the nature of their communications quite yeah. quite significantly, you know. And and that that kind of outcomes focus, I think, makes a huge. Difference. Absolutely, I mean, there's a few, a few things that you've, you've said. I mean, one one on that latter one, we we work with a we work with a, a really good health and safety consultant, and and one of the things he he talks about is that. You know, again, changing the language. So, you know, in, in a lot of health and safety areas, people talk about lost time injuries or lost time accidents. Um, uh, what he what he encourages organisations to do is, is um, uh, I can't remember the exact term he uses now, but it, it's um, 
lost quality of life incident. So, you know, again, it, it, it reframes it from just being lost time, as in, you know, you know we're going to have to find somebody else to do their job because they're off work because they've hurt themselves to we're actually someone's, we've, we've degraded someone's quality of life through allowing them to get injured or, you know, through. So, so that, that you know, I think language is really important, um, important in that. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I think all, all of the things you just talked about there, I think, you know, a lot of internal communicators who I talk to are very, you know, I think they're very astute and they know we should be trying to, um, uh, you know, we should be thinking about what, what do we want people to think, feel and do differently? You know, exactly what you said there. It's not just about, you know, we, there's a bit of cognitive stuff. There was a bit of understanding and knowledge. Uh, we want them to an emotional connection, what we're doing, but actually then we want them to go and do something differently. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of communicating in the first place i think sometimes they just end up under pressure to well we know we should be doing all of that sort of stuff but we just need to tell them and they just need to understand and i think there's a there's a danger sometimes that you know that 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 that, that is not their choice but they have to kind of you know that that the, the, they have to do what what and sometimes what we're asked to do or or, or you know there's a the sort of a no debate sort of thing but I, I think one of the things we always do with clients is to, uh, similar to, and I think it's probably very similar to what you do, is we almost, when we're, when a client comes to us and says, we want you to do we want your great big picture things for us, is we almost try and talk them out of out of it, which sounds like a really strange thing to yeah, do. But, no. you know, so why this? Why are you doing it now? Why are you doing this? You know, what's the, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Why you do you want to do it now? And why do you want to use us? Because, you know, it, it, if they can answer those questions we know we're the right person for them. We're the right company for them to work with them. And we know that they kind of, and we know that they've been through that thought process. And I think if internal communicators, and I appreciate sometimes, you know, there is a kind of a directive and you just need to help us to communicate this. And, and, but if you can, you know, be a consultant, a trust and advisor with your, with your senior leadership team and say, why, why do we want to do it? Why do we want to do it now? And why do we want to do it in the way that you've asked me to do it? And is there any flexibility to do it in a way that might be more engaging and more sticky and more, a more chance of, you know, getting that end result that you've talked about? I think that trusted advisor status is what a lot of internal comms people are achieving and, and striving for i'm conscious of time richard sorry i'll just let you respond to that and then i want to come to the final yeah. point no just, I, I was kind of just going to agree you know anything and everything that we ever need to know is out there it's stuck on a wall it's on an internet it's on an intranet it's in a book somewhere the game for me is getting people if it's if it's we've got to follow these steps or we've got to you know the game is to get people to look at the information and then want want to like when we when we do some stuff we do stuff on creating a customer experience and distinguishing service next mm. week it's getting people to want to do because they want to because it's important to them and then actually if we think about that that's the game that we're trying to get through with with what we communicate it tends to then be somewhat less about the content and more about the approach and then somebody's asked about is there you know some 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 platforms that don't work you know do emails not work or do you know, internet systems not work. And the answer to that's pr probably quite glib, but like it, it, if we know something doesn't work in your organization, do something different. Yeah. You know, yeah, some yeah. organizations, you know, email, emails get batterings in lots of organizations, but loads of organizations, that's the best way to communicate. But if it doesn't work, then, you know, let's, let's not be afraid to go, actually, let's send a WhatsApp out. The best engagement piece I think I've ever seen was a, was a Facebook group essentially mm, yeah. a Facebook group. And I'm not going into all the detail of it, but if I said to most of my clients, you know what you should do to increase engagement, create a Facebook group, they would laugh me out of the place. Yeah. But it was right for the, that people, those people in that organization. So yeah, yeah. It's all, no, it's all about no, the outcomes break. It's knowing your audience. I mean, workplace for, you know, Facebook have got a, a business corporate solution now, which I know a lot of organizations are using. I think it, it's, it's understanding what makes uh, things like that. Craig, I, honestly, I know we, I know we need to move on, but that that is I'm so glad you brought it up. Like that is a perfect example. I can't, and this is controversial. So if mm. people don't agree, that's fine. Mm. But I can't tell you the amount of times I've been in conversations with people where they go, everybody's on Facebook. So why don't we introduce workplace? Yeah, yeah. And and I go, it's up to you, but not nobody's on workplace. Everyone's on Facebook, so why don't you use that? I know, it's the, a great the, example of overcomplicating the, the challenge. Yeah and, I, yeah. yeah, and I see it with learning platforms. I see it with, you know, and again, I'm not being critical. If we if workplace works, that's great. 
but don't look at one platform and go, ah, oh, right, everyone's using WhatsApp, so why don't we set up a Yammer? Yeah. You know, that it's, it's you know, if we can get a Yammer to work, that's brilliant. But if everyone's using WhatsApp and we need to get messages across, let's use WhatsApp or Signal or whatever. There's just, it's that kind of outcome fit for purpose. What's the, my, yeah. my old, but Kimberly here, who's my kind of guru, that, you know, everyone who's worked with us knows that, that I worked for Kim for eight years and she was made, she was always just on about what's the quickest, most elegant way to get to where we need to get to. Yeah, yeah. And keep things as simple as possible. There's a lovely metaphor for that. I don't know whether you've ever come across uh, Roger Von Ouch's uh, creative whack pack. Have you ever come across that before? Oh, I've, he I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard but, of it. But it's a, basically it's a series of like little fables and stories to get you to think differently from a creative perspective. And there's a lovely story in that, which is, um, uh, you, you know, when they, they build these new kind of developments and new houses and apartments and whatever, and they lay all these like really, you know, lovely paths and, and then people just walk across the grass and ignore mm -hmm. them. And, and so what they did is they, they built the, you know, this, I mean, it may be kind of apocryphal, but, but anyway, the, the idea is that they built the apartments. They didn't put any paving stones down. They just left the grass and then let everybody walk where they wanted. And then they paved those paths. Uh, which is yeah. like a kind of, you know, why don't That's we do all... that more in our work? Let, let, yeah. Give people the freedom to find the path of least resistance and then make that, make and then build our structures around that rather than, you know, like the kind of build it and they will come mentality, which yeah. we, we often deploy. But anyway, I want to get onto a final point because this is one we probably, I hope we've got enough time because this is one I really mm -hmm. like. So we've talked about creating an inspired, uh, uh, a shared inspiring vision. We've talked about helping people, con uh, showing people how they contribute and success the business. The last one, which is catching people doing things well, catching people doing things right. Tell us yeah. all about that, Richard. Well, listen, if you if this conversation had been 10 years ago and, and somebody had said, oh, you'll be you'll be talking about catching people doing things well on a on a on a live stream, I would have laughed because it's so basic. And there was a long period of time and I, I, I never mentioned it, but I think again, always, but especially at the moment, it's such a fundamental, basic, no-brainer, quick win that very few people are doing. Mm. How how often do we make it a habit or or even just do when it occurs to us to turn around to somebody and say, I really I was listening to the conversation, I don't know what they were saying, but I heard what you were saying and I thought it was really good. And there's a reason, I know I was saying this to you the other day, Craig, I, I it's occurred to us now that there's a reason that the one minute manager is one of the best selling business books of all time. And then it occurred to us that it's about, I think it's probably about 50 years old. It's certainly yeah. over 40, I think. Um, there's probably a whole generation of internal comms people, managers, leaders out there who've never, who haven't even heard of it, maybe, or certainly never read it. It's about 12,000 words long. And, and what it says in its essence still stands today. Manage by walking around. Mm. catch people doing things well and give them the feedback there and there on time. And that's my mm. kind of, you know, sh shortened version of it. Mm. But I would, I would, there's a hotel I check into really regularly and I often go check in, in in an evening. And I know for years and years and years and years, they've had a challenge getting night staff in the generally run with a night manager, kind of night duty manager and one receptionist stroke do, doing lots of other things. And I checked in uh, before Christmas and it was it was the best experience I've ever had checking in in an evening, mm. and I've been there at least hundreds of times. And I just said to the to the to the person who was checking us in that that was amazing. Often I don't get a brilliant experience at night. I really like the way you're doing it. You were really professional. You made loads of eye contact, but it was kind of really nice. You had that balance perfectly well. And she pretty much went. <laughs> and I thought you you and I and I you know spoke to other people in the hotel and said, oh that she's she's brilliant. You, you know. And they were like, oh, yeah, she's great. We've you kind of got her, eye, got her eye on her. And I thought, actually, but I'm not sure she's getting that feedback up to that mm. point. Mm. And I'm not, you know, things like stars, you know, star awards, you know, where people are nominated for things. All, all of that's brilliant. Mm. But if you hear somebody doing something well in your organization, no matter how big or small, just tell them. Yeah. Just give them that feedback. And if you're a manager, you're a leader, Make it a habit of its if it's of of that's part of what you do. Even if you can't manage by walking around because you're on Zoom or Teams all the time, when you notice it or you see something delivered, just tell people. Just just tell people. You don't. I'm not saying if I send you a 
a good email. I'm not saying you ring us and go, Richard, that was utterly amazing. It worked. Like, I'm not going <laughs> over the top gushy yeah, things, yeah, yeah. but just catch people doing things well and tell them. Yeah. And we don't, I don't think there's anybody I know who does that enough. Yeah. Probably I don't know. me, by the way. But, no, um, no, they're there, but they're but for the grace go all of us. But I mean, no, I know, I know we talked about this the other day. Um, you know, and, the, and I think it's it's the Lasada principle, or there are other things out there, which is this idea that, you know, our, our theoretically the optimal performance uh, comes around with um, with, with uh, when you have, you know, three positive interactions with one corrective interaction. And I often, I, you know, when when working with clients on other projects, we we sometimes ask them, "What do you think your ratio lies on this?" Mm. And it's often really interesting. Uh, I'm just interested, you know. I'm, uh, we've just put a note up on there on the screen just just for questions just so we've got some we'll build a bit of time in for that last five minutes just just on that at scale so you've said about you know star awards are great and you know employee of the month and all of these sorts of things and I, I agree you know they're good i think when i see this you know case study or employee stories they they time tend to be a little bit over overproduced and a little bit like oh yes so and so is in the company newsletter or on yammer again you know uh you know what what about us we never get any recognition you know, sometimes you get a bit of a, of a reaction to that it's not always perceived i think it's more organic it's what you've said it's like how do we build an environment where people can just go out and have a natural conversation with someone and 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 I've seen this happen loads of times before, um, where you know you encourage someone, you know, it goes back to the minute the the one minute manager again, you know, go up management by walking about and just go and talk to someone and show some genuine interest in what they're doing and just help them. It goes back to what we were just saying before, you know, that, you, you realize that thing that you just done there really kind of makes a massive difference to the customer or the end user or the patient or whatever context. I think it's, I think, I think. Internal comms people just sometimes get a bit kind of overwhelmed by, well, how do we do that? And let's just mm. do what we've always done, which is the kind of big awards and the big celebrations. It's more about how do we create that culture and that environment where people can do that, I think, more organically. Would you agree? Yeah. And, and if, if I was to be really, you know, I know this, to, if, if it's not the culture and organization, this doesn't cure it. But if I'm an internal comms person and I'm wrestling with that, while I wrestle with it, the next time I sit down and, and have a brief or have a meeting with an internal customer and they give me a really good brief, you know, and they make it easier, I make sure that I tell them. Mm. You know, yeah. if, I, if, I, if, if it isn't the culture, I'm going to do it. I'm going yeah. to be the weird one in the room that says, look, I don't know if this is appropriate because I know you're technically more senior than us or whatever, but I do I have loads of these meetings and sometimes they're not as easy as this one. You've just mm. made my job really easy to do this, so thanks very much indeed. Yeah, I I do as well. We, we we get we we work with you know we end up some sometimes working with with people who are you know just coordinating things for us. You know we just we need them to help organize people's diaries because we need lots of meetings with lots of senior people, and they just do it really really well. And I always make a point of saying to them. I've worked with a lot of people who do what you've just done there and you've done that really, really well. And I really appreciate it. And you can, you like your hotel store, you can tell some, you know, that's the first time anyone's really taken time. Sometimes that, you know, uh, you'll, and I always mention it to the, my court contact as well and say, by the way, so-and-so has been absolutely yeah. brilliant. I know you realize you've got a real kind of gem there and, and really great, you know, great, great potential. And sometimes I go, yeah, we know, we know. And you kind of think, yeah, but have you, t have you told him or heard that? Yeah. And that's it for me. Cause sometimes people say, Oh, I don't know about that. Cause I don't really like praise and I wouldn't want to put anyone. No, no, yeah. no, no. What you don't like is like at the call center I used to work in years and years ago, if somebody had, hit the best numbers they got like stood on a chair and applauded and given a bottle of wine in front of everyone some people love that some people hate it, hate it yeah. i don't know anyone who hates somebody come up and saying thank you very much that was a really good job or you did a really good job there you did this and this and that's what you should keep going good job yeah i, with, I just don't and, and with and sincerity anybody, <laughs> yeah and if we and if any of us should be able to do that mm. if it, if you can't you know, some people say, oh, I'm not very good at feedback. Really? Mm. You can't, it, like, you're not very good at going, thank you very much, that was really good. Do that and again. Tell it, it's, it's, and, and telling people why it was really good and what the consequences yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, we look, our favourite feedback model, and this is Nick by, by um, from from Ben Morton, who used to work with us, Ben, and it's, it's a great basic, if you don't think you're good at feedback, www.ebi, 
what went well, even better if. Now, you yeah. don't have to do all, both of them all at the same time. Mm. But if you go and somebody, as a, again, as a manager, leader, going down saying look that was really good and this is this is this is what i thought was good and that's what i think you should do well again it's yeah. the simplest thing to do and again if if you work in a negative in a um a toxic culture or a negative culture it's not going to shift the whole thing around but but it's better it's better than nothing and who yeah. you know imagine your partner imagine your most loved one came home from work tonight and said um Hey, my boss or somebody, my boss's colleague came along and just said, I'd, thanks very much. You did a really good job. Yeah. It's kind of almost the stuff that legends are built on. I'd like exactly. to say as much as being in the Times top 100 or best companies or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to to, to finish everything off. So th thank you again, Richard. Uh, we're going to be running a few, another live stream where we, we'll be announcing that. We'll invite, invite everyone across. So if you're not already following our uh, Big Picture Learn, a uh, Big Picture People uh, face. Uh, facebook linkedin page do so if you're not linked to me connected to me drop me a connection request we'll be we'll be letting you know when the next live stream and we're going to bring you uh and uh, more fantastic guests and maybe we'll even get richard back on as well because we've, we've had a really good conversation today so thank you very much richard thank you to everyone who's uh, who's who's taken part and uh, have a fantastic weekend and, and stay safe and look after yourself thank you very much so thank you for listening to engaging internal comms hope you found this episode useful and um, we'd love to get your feedback and thoughts about the show so and, and also any questions or ideas that you've got for things you'd like us to cover in future episodes so you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can get in touch with us via the contact form on our website which is engagingic.com also you'll be able to sign up for our mailing list there and we'll send you relevant news about the show new episodes and also anything that we think you might be interested in when it comes to internal communications or employee engagement if you like the show and you haven't already done so please subscribe to it via your podcast service and also you can subscribe to it via the links on our podcast page which again is engagingic.com um, if you know anyone else who might be interested in the show please distribute it to them please let them know about it we want to try and grow a community of people here who are contributing to the show giving us new ideas for episodes and things that you'd like to cover in future so thank you very much